Welcome to Your Business, Your Life with Matt DeFrancesco, your personal financial technician. Whether you've had years of success in your business or just starting out, Highlift Financial can help you create a vision for your business, life, and family, and align these for generational wealth. As they say, what happens in your life affects your business. And now, on to the show. Well, hello, and welcome to Your Business, Your Life with me, Matt Francesco. I'm excited to be here again with all of you guys. We have some really great things happening. It's it's interesting. I've as I'm working through the uh, the uh, collision repair industry, I'm really meeting a lot of great people who are really just passionate about the business, and they're looking for ways to kind of change it and and fix what's broken in it. And that's why the guest today I have, I think he's really going to be inspiring to you guys here. His name's Tom B. Miller. He's the founder of the Arius Group. All right. It's a management company of auto body shops located in Eastern Pennsylvania. And, you know, when I got to talk with Tom, I was, I was really excited because his goal was to, to be the best company to work for in the industry. And I think that's a really great goal to have because there's so much in the industry that's broken. And I think Tom's really passionate about wanting to fix it. So, so for him, it's not about repairing cars, but about the phrase that he's coined, repairing the repair process. So we're going to talk a lot about that. Now, you'll notice from his pullover that he's a, he's a graduate of the University of Notre Dame. So uh, good Catholic boy. And he's actually got his MBA too from uh, Villanova. So we got, we got both, uh, uh, both ends covered there. And uh, he says he's not, he says he's not a car guy, but I think you're going to find many of through many of his insights that he's really passionate about the business and the industry. And he wants to be a catalyst for change in the industry. So I'm really excited to have him. So Tom, welcome to your business, your life. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. Happy to be here and uh, looking forward to, uh, to our conversation today. Oh, no problem. Well, I'm excited about it too, after we spoke. So, and I kind of laugh because, you know, you call yourself not a car guy, but I, I think if you go and touch on your history a little bit, people will see you kind of had a very similar path that many people have in the industry. So just wanted to see, uh, wanted you to tell the audience how you came into the industry. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I'm definitely not a car guy. When I say that, what I, what I really mean is I'm not particularly passionate about cars. I've never fixed cars. I was never really into cars. I don't have project cars. In fact, I don't even own a car. I drive a rental car. Um, <laughs> but, but I've been in the industry uh, since I was 14. I, I got into it totally by accident. I was in high school and I was doing a landscaping business and I wanted to get a, uh, a summer job to maximize my income which really was about maximizing my independence from my parents. And so they were on board with me getting a job, but they weren't willing to get me there. They weren't willing to drive me every day. So it had to be somewhere that I could get myself to and home each day. And so I went to all the local businesses around my house that I could ride my bicycle to. And the local body shop was the only place that was willing to hire me. So I started, I spent a summer, uh, two summers actually washing cars and taking out trash and sweeping floors, which is kind of a typical start in the business. However, I had no intention of being in this business, being in this industry. I had no interest in fixing cars or anything like that. It was truly just a summer job. How can I make some money? Right. And um, it turned out it was a decent place to work. So I went back each summer. And after my second summer there, they had me start helping in the office, which, uh, which I liked because it was climate controlled. So I wasn't <laughs> out in the, in the heat of the summer washing cars. But like I said, it was a decent part-time job. And... I got to know the owner fairly well uh, while I was in school. When I w went out to college uh, in Indiana, I always 
worked whenever I came home on Christmas break or summer break, I would always go back and, and, uh, and help the owner out with whatever projects he had going on. Like I said, I wasn't really spending a lot of time in the shop and I certainly wasn't really paying attention to how cars get fixed or anything like that. And it wasn't until I, I got out of Notre Dame, right, right about halfway through my senior year at Notre Dame, I decided that I didn't want to go to medical school. So my undergraduate degree is pre-med, uh, but I decided not to pursue that. So I just graduated and moved home, moved back in with my parents and, you know, was going to kind of figure out what I was going to do. And so while I was working on figuring out what I, what kind of job I was going to get or what my career was going to be, the owner of the body shop that I grew up working at said, yeah, I got plenty of stuff you can help me out with. Why don't you come to work and make some money until you figure out what you're going to do? And so I did. I started working for him again that summer. And then as it happened, I got into a car accident. Somebody rear-ended me and the guy I was working for said, oh, this is great. I want you to take your car to all of my competitors and then report back to me on what your experiences are like. So we set up this little mystery shopping project and that gave me exposure to the industry in a way that I hadn't previously been exposed. My only The only thing I knew was the company that I worked for. Right. And um, so now I go and I visit all these other body shops in my area and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe how terrible these places are. I mean, I mean, some places I walked in, there was an inch of dust in the in the office. Other places I, I went in and there's nobody in the office. And I had to, like, walk out into the shop to try to find somebody to help me. Right. And it's just like poor follow up. And so as I'm working through this project, I started researching the industry. And this is 2004. Everything I read was really negative about the business. There was a lot of like insurance companies are ruining the industry. I read a whole lot about how enrollment at Votech schools was down. People don't want to get into this business anymore. And we're going to have a, a technician shortage, which, you know, now 15 years later, we're living through. Right. So I'm 22 years old. I had just gotten out of college. So I know everything. And I'm looking at this like, man, this industry really is pretty crappy. And I think I can help this. Now, I figured, you know, I'm going to make quick work of this by 35. I'll be retired and, and life is going to be great. So I so I approached the guy that I was working for. Now, when I started, he had one shop. By this time, he had three shops and he had no clear successor. He, he didn't have any kids and there was nobody in the business that was clearly his successor. So I saw some opportunity there mm -hmm. uh, and I just went to him and said, hey, what do you think about hiring me full time? He said, yes. What do you want to do? I said, ultimately, I'd like to be your successor. I want to take over the company. So whatever I got to learn to get to that point, uh, whatever I have to do, that's that's what I want to do. But here's here's what I see. The industry, nobody wants to work in this business. And, and quite frankly, it's a, it's a pretty crappy business to work in. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, if we can figure out a better way to fix cars, if we could create a better environment for people to do this work in, I had remembered hearing something that Walt Disney said, happy employees make happy customers. So I said, if we can, if we can improve the experience fixing cars, that'll translate to a better experience for the people that have to have their cars fixed. Right. And, uh, and he said, I love it. Let's do it. So that was when I made my decision that I was going to make a career in this business. Okay. Interesting. I mean, you know, and, and it's fascinating. You know, there was two points that you highlighted there. One about him not having a clear successor. And I think we've, you know, I find that because that's pretty much where my role fits in a lot of times is kind of helping these owners to say, what is your succession plan? And ideally, if we can go 10, 15 years out, which is, and most owners aren't even thinking about that at that point. That's what we're trying to create awareness because first off, I think they need to develop a plan to, to be able to 
pass along that business. But second, what do they need to do to change the business? Because if they're going to create a uh, generational wealth, all right, and especially if they're going to pass it to the family, they're going to need to change. I mean, you're seeing it now, and it's not just even in just the technology, but in the cultures that we develop. So, you know, you have this phrase repairing the repair process, which I just, I just love. And uh, I want, you know, with the challenges that are in the industry, I want you to explain what, what that really means. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I went out on my own about 10 years ago and, and started my company with the intention of fixing the things that I see that are wrong in the business. Now, I've made a whole bunch of mistakes along the way. And so 10 years later, I feel like I haven't really accomplished much. And that's still the same mission that drives me every day. So I tell everybody, you know, any, anybody that cares to listen, but specifically when I'm looking to hire somebody or I'm interviewing candidates, I'm very, very clear that in, in my company, it's not about fixing cars. It's about fixing the way we fix cars. And so no matter what your role is in the company, technician, estimator, you know, manager, detailer, it doesn't matter. My expectation is, is that as you're doing your work all day, every day, you are thinking about how can we do this better? And then you're participating in and contributing ideas to how we can improve the process of fixing cars, how we can improve the environment of fixing cars. Uh, You mentioned that my goal is to create the best company to work for. That's really what it is. I mean, I talk to so many people who go home at the end of the day pissed off. And it it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, the, the average body shop is a very stressful environment. There's a lot of pressure. It's never good enough. We tend to use carrots and sticks to manage people. In my opinion, it doesn't have to be that way. And so I want to create a company where people go home feeling good at the end of the day. They feel great about the work that they did. They feel fulfilled by the work that they did. And ultimately, as they're, or for the amount of time that they're in my company, ultimately they're becoming better people. And that's to me really what it's all about. That, and, and that's when you make a real difference in the world. And, and, and yeah, you know, it's fascinating to me because I hear a lot of the problems within the industry, many of the things that you talked about, yet I'm really finding there's a lot of people that are passionate about it and want to change it. And that's really exciting to me about just the industry as a whole. You know, one of the things that, um, you know, you talked about developing the specific culture and helping people, it sounds like basically helping them to become, basically take leadership for whatever they're responsible for. Am I correct? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh. So what are the, can you maybe some specifics on what uh, some of these things are that you're helping your employees to kind of develop these leaderships in their certain areas? It's kind of like, I don't know if you were Jocko, uh, Jocko Willett's book about extreme ownership. It's a very similar thing yeah. where you lead from the top down and then it filters back up. So what are some specific things that you're doing? Yeah. So you mentioned leadership. I I think one of the biggest problems in our industry is that we severely lack leadership. In fact, we don't even have good managers. And there's a difference between managing and leading. And typically what we do is we take, you know, usually the best technician or the best estimator and we say, okay, you're now the manager. Hope you figure it out. Good luck. And we really don't support them. We don't give them a lot of training and a lot of education. And as a result, we've, we've got these environments that again, are really crappy to, to work in. So number one, I I start with myself. I, I invest a lot of time and energy into my own personal growth and development. And what what I learned a long time ago 
maybe 15 years ago or so, is that leadership growth is really personal growth. And what's interesting is back then I I wasn't married. I didn't have kids and I was just a hundred percent focused on business and I want to be a great businessman. And so I'm going to develop myself as a leader so that I can build a better business. And that, that was really what it was all about for me in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But as I've gotten older and I got married and now I have two, two small children, what I've seen is that the skills that I work on developing so that I can be a better leader and a better businessman also make me a better husband, a better father, a better friend. I mean, just a, a better human being. Right. And so I invest a lot in my own personal growth and I'm focused on creating a company where we understand that leadership is not just about driving top line revenue and bottom line profits. Those are important. And if you're leading a business, you have to create growth, you have to drive revenue and you have to drive profits. However, I believe that a huge piece of or a huge uh, responsibility of any leader is to develop their people both professionally and personally, because I think the two are inextricably linked. You can't develop professionally without developing personally. And I mentioned earlier that I want to create a company where when somebody leaves my company, they leave as a better person when they came. And and that's really what it's about. So I'm creating this culture where we're focused on developing people. And so it's just literally, it's just taking a different approach. Mm -hmm. So you know, there's there's a lot of stereotypes in our industry. I hear painters described as, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Prima donnas a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah, I hear technicians described that way a lot. And so when, you know, one of my shop leaders is, you know, struggling with a relationship with with one of his people, uh, my coaching is, okay, well, let's, let's take a look at where this guy came from. How did he grow up? What shops has he worked in? What sort of environments has he worked in? And a lot of times what, what I think is somebody is showing up today or the reason that they're showing up the way they are today is because of all the experiences that they've gone through in their lifetime. In a lot of ways, our industry has trained people to act the way that they're acting. And which is, you know, a lot of times like CYA, cover my ass, don't, don't admit any wrongdoing, blame everybody else. And I say we, the industry's trained them to act that way, literally acting that way has made them successful in this business. And so a lot of times what we have to do, or what I coach my guys on is let's understand where this person came from. That's going to help us to understand why they're showing up the way they're showing up. Mm -hmm. And then we can mold them. We can start to show them new behaviors. We can start to show them different ways of thinking about things. And really that's kind of what, what it's about. You know, for me in in my company, it starts with me. I've got to be a great leader to demonstrate and show people what leadership looks like. And then I'm teaching my my leaders, I'm teaching them how to be great leaders for their people. And ultimately that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and and we start to gain momentum and momentum starts to take over. And that's what really what forms this different kind of culture where people are excited to come to work. They're excited to participate in conversations about what we're not good at, you know, which typically people shy away from that. They get defensive. They want to fight and say, it's not my fault. It's his fault. And so we're creating a different kind of culture where we can have those kinds of conversations in a very productive, unemotional way so that we can find solutions, implement solutions and solve problems. And to me, that's what we have to create if I'm ever going to come close to achieving this goal of becoming the best company to work for. That's right. You know, it's and and when you grow people, your business will naturally grow. 
And I think what happens a lot of times is especially when uh, when you're in a negative industry and you're doing things, you can have the financial success, but there's an incongruency in our own mind because it's not meeting our value set. And that's why I think what you're doing is is really great because, you know, you're teaching people not only to become leaders and be accountable, but also to become congruent in their own thinking, because now now they will truly be successful. And then the, the monetary success usually comes with that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're uh, my my coach is huge on personal development. I've been a personal development junkie for uh, for thirty years. I mean, if you saw behind the backdrop, I mean, there's just books. I, I have stacks of them, <laughs> you know, everywhere. That's why I use the backdrop. Nobody wants to see my mess. But anyway, and you know, and he says that you know you should be investing anywhere from five to ten percent of your of your top line revenue into personal development, and actually. You know, as we work with companies, we're even uh, having them implement personal development budgets with with their guys. So I had one guy. It's funny because, you know, typically um, collision guys are not readers. And uh, mm-hmm. and being a voracious reader, I would be talking with him. And we were looking at his kids were in the business, but he wasn't sure that they were capable of running the business. And he, you know, he, he wanted to retire, but he didn't feel confident passing it on. So we were starting to work with the kids and I would start telling him about books that I was reading. And he's like, oh, I don't read books. So finally, I got him to read a book and he got so excited about it that he gave it to his guys. And to make a long story short, it's now evolved into they, they have a book of the month club. So they all read the same book and then weekly get together and they talk about what they're learning in the book. So, you know, I think like what you're doing is, is really on track because again, you set the example lead and then also then pull them up with you so that then become leaders within themselves. And then, and then that's where you create a synergy. Am I, am I right? Yeah, absolutely. I love that idea. Book of the month club. I don't have uh, something like that established, but I just have like individuals who come to me and say, you know, hey, I want to learn more about this. Can you can you recommend what can I do? So I've got a couple of my my technicians right now reading How to Win Friends and Influence People, uh, which is, you know, one of my favorite books of all time. Yeah. And um, and so then I check in with them, you know, hey, where are you in the book? What have you learned? What do you like? And create conversation around it and just kind of bring it to life for them. And um, but making a formal book club, that's a that's pretty cool. Well, that's yeah. And it, it actually, it was, it was kind of neat how they ended up doing that. And, and, you know, it's funny because you mentioned like how to win friends and influence people. It's all these old classics. And, and, you know, what I found is, you know, with all the books that I've read, a lot of stuff gets regurgitated, but sometimes, I don't know, sometimes I think they start to get a little esoteric and kind of out there. And I really just think that the classics, like my son, he graduated, uh, he's a biomedical engineer and he got into procurement, hated that eventually wants to have his own business. But I told him, I said, all right, you know, you're looking for a new job. You need to develop a skill set. So do you need to learn sales and marketing? So he gets on with his startup and uh, he's trying to learn how to sell. And he like, he's reading all these books and he's not getting it. And so I just, I, I, I did, I literally just bought him, um, how I raised myself from failure to success through selling from Frank Betcher, which was written in 1948. You know, first <laughs> chapter is, you know, to be enthusiastic, act enthusiastic. I mean, something as simple as that, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah. so, you know, and, and now all of a sudden he's like starting to catch his stuff. So I think going back to the old classics really teach, uh, teach your people the foundational stuff that they need to know. Yeah, no, no doubt. I'm, I'm with you. A lot of stuff gets regurgitated, you know, over time. 
And, you know, but these principles are timeless Yes, and they apply to any industry. They apply to every situation in life. It's, it's really, in my mind, it's really just about creating a different kind of mindset, yeah. right? I mean, I can, I can have a mindset where I go through life and things are happening to me and, and I'm a victim of what's happening to me, or I can create a mindset that I'm going to go create the kind of life that I, that I want. I'm going to create the kind of relationships that I want. I'm going to create the kind of success that I want. And I believe that we can do all that and it's really just a choice. What am I going to focus on? That's right. You're exactly right. And I think that leads me because you mentioned about you had the five core values for your company. And I, I wanted you to really, because that was something that resonated with me. I think it, I want you to explain those, um, those core values and how they help you sure. um, in your business, your employees, and also your customers. Yeah, absolutely. So our core values are very, very important to us. And they we weave them into all facets of the business. Uh, we have five of them. They're really like near and dear to my heart. And they really came, came from me. Kind of, this is how I want my company to be. Right, right. Um, but when I say they're important to us, they're a huge part of our recruiting and hiring process. They are a, a huge part of our discipline and praise all of our HR processes are, are really wrapped around our core values. And really what it, what it comes down to is I'm clear on what I stand for. And if you and I are not aligned on those things, th that's okay. I'm not saying you're wrong and I'm right, or your values are not as good as mine. That, that's not what it's about. But I just know that if we're not aligned from a values perspective, we're not going to work well together. Right. So I don't hire somebody if we're not aligned on, on values. Mm -hmm. uh, if we are aligned on values, then, I mean, that's not the only thing that, that's important, but if we are aligned on values, there's a, there's a better chance that, that it's going to be a good working relationship. Hey. So do you want me to get into the specifics about what yeah. the values are and what of they course. mean to us? So, yeah, I um, want you to share no, that. Number one is we are one team. And for me, you know, I, I worked in a company for a while where we had multiple locations and each shop acted independently. They operated independently. In fact, they would fight against each other. It was like a zero sum game. If, if that guy's successful, it takes away from my success. And I just, I couldn't stand that kind of, of a culture. And so when I struck out on my own, I said, I'm not going to run my company that way. We're one company. We're going to have multiple locations, but we've got one common goal and we are working together and supporting each other towards achieving that one common goal. Awesome. So if you're not a team player, you can't be on my team. It's that simple. Okay. Our second core value is own it, uh, which is all about taking personal responsibility for everything that's going on around us and living up to the commitments that we make to each other and to ourselves. And so I always say to my team, the only thing that we truly own in this world is our word, right? And so, and I always ask them, when you make a commitment to somebody, who are you really making that commitment to, yeah. right? Because you can let somebody else down, but you're really letting yourself down. Right. Uh, and so if you, if you say you're going to do something, by God, follow through on that and do it. Because if you don't, if you tell somebody you're going to do something and you don't do it, what happens is you erode trust mm -hmm. in the relationship. And without trust, we cannot be a high-performing team. It just can't happen. Right. So taking personal responsibility, taking ownership of issues, problems, and living up to our commitments is something that is very, very important to us. Right. The next value that I've identified is, is never stop learning. So I'm just a lifetime learner. Yeah. You know, I, I, this is kind of weird, but I, I enjoyed school. You know, it's sort of, 
I, I was good at it. It sort of came naturally to me. Um, I, you mentioned I went to college. I, I went to grad school. And since then, I've been on this you know, lifelong journey of personal development and growth. So I never stop learning. I, I read as much as I can. I listen to people who are better than me. I study successful companies and what did they do that made them successful and how do I apply that to my business? And so in my company, like if you are not a learner, you can't be on my team. And, and, and I'll tell you, Matt, really what that is, what I find is people who are closed-minded are not learners. People who keep an open mind they are learners. Mm -hmm. uh, I heard, somebody told me one time, and this, this has always stuck with me. He said, there are 8 billion people in this world and every single one of them knows something I don't. And I just, I love that because it means I can learn from every single person. Again, the guy with no experience at all, who just got hired his first auto body shop job, he's washing cars. There's something I can learn from that guy. And so just creating that mindset inside the company keeps us open to new ideas and new ideas are where innovation comes from and ultimately where future success lies. Right. Right. Oh, I think that's awesome. Yeah. So next core value, love what you do. Mm. Okay. Now a lot of people, a lot of people get this one wrong when they hear it and they're like, okay, well, we got to hire people that love fixing cars. And, and that's actually not really what it's about. Again, I'm not a car guy. Right. Okay. Love, love what you do is about putting your best effort into every single task that you do. Mm -hmm. So if I'm cleaning the toilet, I am going to clean that toilet so freaking well that the next person that comes up to use it is going to go, oh my God, who cleaned? This is the cleanest toilet I've ever seen in my whole life. Right. Right. And that's the kind, that's what love what you do is all about. Pour your heart and soul into your work and do it to the best of your ability every single time. Because when you do that, Okay. What happens is the level of fulfillment and satisfaction that you take out of your work goes way up. Right. So I always say, pour your heart and soul into your work, really love what you do. And two things are going to happen. Number one, quality of your work is going to go way up, but more importantly, the quality of your life is going to go way up because like most things, what you get out of your work is going to be a hundred percent dependent on what you put into it. Exactly. Exactly. So that's what, that's what love what you do is all about. Love is something you do. It's a verb. It's an action. It is not something that happens to you. Yeah. In my opinion. Exactly. You know, and it's interesting you mentioned that because I was, um, I was actually listening to a podcast and they were talking about love and, and faith as a verb. Actually, yeah. it's interesting in, in the Hebrew scriptures, the word for faith is actually translated as faithful. It is an action. And I think too yeah. many times we, we forget about that. It is an action that we need to do. And I think it's so critical. I, I mean, I tell my kids all the time that just find something that you love, do something that you love and everything else will come in. I mean, I spent years yeah. and years like trying to search for that thing. And, and I remember even when I first got into financial services, I thought it was one thing. It ended up being something different. I hated it. I hated my life. <laughs> and then I decided, okay, I either change careers again at 48 or I reinvent what I'm doing now. And that's basically what I did. And I'm like, you know, people ask me, what's my retirement plan? I said, it's face down on my desk. 
but it's yeah. because I love what I do. And if I, as long as I'm physically and mentally capable of doing it, I'll keep doing it. I love working with my clients. I love providing value. I love creating multi-generational wealth for families. And so you're exactly right. I think that's really what it comes down to. You can groom somebody, you can teach somebody the mechanics of what they need to do of their, of their job. Okay. Getting them to start to love what they do and love what they work, I think is just absolutely critical. So, yeah, I mean, we've all heard the cliche, you know, love what you do. You'll never work another day in your life. And I do think that's true. In fact, I've helped people leave my company. So I had a, a guy come to me one time and he said, you know, Hey man, I've been working here for a couple of years and, and, and it's a great company and I like working here. But thing is, is this business, this just isn't for me. Yeah. And I, and I said, well, what do you want to do? And he said, I don't really know, but I'm really into firearms. And I was like, okay, wow. well, I don't know anything about firearms, but <laughs> you know, let's, let's sit down and let's talk this out. So over, over the course of a couple different conversations, we were, we were able to find like an internship opportunity at a company that would actually pay for him to go to school to learn. So I, I wrote him a letter of recommendation. I helped him get this position. And then that set him off on the career path that he was passionate about that he could really pour his heart and soul into. And so love what you do is, is to me, it's like, Hey man, if, if this, if what you're doing, if this company is not doing it for you, I'm going to help you find what that is for you, because yet you're going to be better off. And quite frankly, I'll be better off in the long run too. That's exactly right. And how much value did you provide that guy? I mean, it's, 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 it's massive. You know, we do that a lot of times, you know, especially as I'm working with clients, we've got, you know, we've got the shop, my mom and dad are basically running it. There's kids. And so, you know, we're pulling together the family meeting. And a lot of times I find out that maybe one or, you know, some of the kids are not even interested in the business. Okay. What can we do? Because again, it's about the family first. So we'll start to like, find out what their interests are. And it's amazing how many times they might develop a whole nother business just that meets the desires that that other child has. And so we create this family umbrella and this is how we start to create this multi-generational wealth. It could be also, I, I mean, I got one shop, the guy, the son loves the mechanical part, wants nothing to do with the operations. The daughter doesn't know anything about vehicles, but she loves operations. So how we're now kind of creating the succession plan with, with them fulfilling you know, different roles. So yeah, I, this can work within families. I think with your employees, I think I think the most important thing is you have to have the right butts in the right seats. And that's not just somebody who's got the technical skills, but also has the personal competencies and the desire. No doubt about it. Yeah. Right. Butts in the right seat. I mean, Jim Collins nailed it. Yeah. Uh, there's no, no doubt about it. Right. Get the right people on the bus and then get them into the right seats. Uh, and that's honestly, I mean, that's one of the responsibilities and one of the challenges of being a leader. You got to build a team. You got to know what skill sets you need. Uh, so you got to get those skill sets on the team, get them into the right positions. And when you put it all together correctly, that's when the magic happens. Right. You know, uh, when, when, when you don't have it right, it feels like you're pushing a boulder up a mountain. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, hey, uh, we're getting close on time. One question I had for you is, uh, you know, now I know you have three shops now and how are you planning to grow at this point? Uh, do you have any like uh, specific plans sure. in place? You're just kind of going with the flow. How's that working? 
Uh, yeah, definitely. So I am going to grow. I'm going to grow in, in more than one way. One of the mistakes I made early on was growing too fast, too quickly. I was overconfident. I, I, I realized at a certain point in time that while I knew how to run a body shop really well, I really didn't know how to build a company. So I've had to kind of go back and learn how to do that, learn how to build a company. So specifically on growth, where we're where our focus is right now is on really building our operating model. I believe that there are massive opportunities for improvement uh, in terms of efficiencies and how long it takes us to fix cars. We're pretty good. In my company, our body shops, we're pretty good. We're not the best in the business, but we're pretty good. I think we can be the best in the business. And I think we can fix cars in less than three days. And so we're really focused operationally on the process of fixing cars. Again, repairing the repair process. And my goal is I think we can we can get each of our locations to 20, 30 million, 20 to 30 million annually in revenue. And that that's going to require a whole lot of innovation and a whole lot of business model changes compared to the way that we operate today. But I believe we can do that. And then when we do that, we'll have a model that, in my opinion, in my mind, everybody that works in our business needs and everybody that owns a car in America needs. Uh, And then I want to scale that across the country. Uh, And so that's opening new locations and taking it to the entire country. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I've got some I've got some friends of mine uh, in the industry I want to introduce you to because I think they can help you along a lot of those lines, too. So awesome. So anyway, but hey, uh, Tom, this is fantastic. We could just, we could go on and on, I know, but I do want to keep it where at a good listening length. So I, first, I want to thank you for being on. I think, you know, I, I think you're right on track with the, the model. And I think what you're doing is really, these are the type of things that are going to change the industry. And, you know, especially with the tech shortage, I think the idea of home growing your own talent is really where uh, shop owners are going to need to go. To, to do that. So, but it's really no about, doubt about it. Yeah. And it's really about developing the culture. So anyway, so how do people find you? You can find me, our website, uh, www.ariusgroup.com. Arius is spelled A-U-R-E-U-S. Yeah. My email, T-B-E-M-I-L-L-E-R at the Ariusgroup.com. Mm-hmm. Um, cell phone. Yep. We'll put yeah. it all in the okay. show notes. Yes. Cool. So all, all of those. Yeah. Reach out to me anytime. Uh, right. I love talking shop. It's my favorite thing to do. That's awesome. That's awesome. You can tell your passion. It just kind of shines through. And I think that's something that's really inspiring. And, and it's something, boy, this industry really needs. And I think also the positivity that you have that, um, you know, I, I see a lot of negativity and a lot of people who've kind of sold out, whether it's to the insurance company, to the vendors, those type of things, and are not looking at the talent and the customer. And I, I really see that in you. So we'll definitely have to keep in touch here with some progress reports. I appreciate that, man. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you. And the last thanks goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for listening to Your Business, Your Life with uh, me, Matt Francesco. If you've not subscribed to the podcast, please click on the subscribe button below. That way, when a new episode comes out, it'll download directly to your advice. And it also makes it easy for you to share with your friends and family and anybody who would benefit from any of the content, especially what uh, Tom's promoting here. 
Also, if you are in a situation where you're trying to figure out like, what's my next steps, you know, need some guidance, especially on the financial end, feel free to go to my website, highliftfinancial.com and click on the let's talk button. You, I give everybody 30 minutes of my time. And the one promise I make is even if I can't help you, I will promise to get you pointed in a right direction. So, and also, you know, if you do like what you're hearing here, give us a five-star review. That way uh, we can get, uh, get to more people. So with that, I want to thank everybody. And I want to thank you, Tom, for being on your business, your life and hope everybody has a great day and we'll see you all real soon. So take care and God bless. Hey, I really want to thank you for listening to the Your Business, Your Life podcast. If you want to be notified when new episodes become available, click the subscribe button below. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of High Lift Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment, legal, or tax advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified professional with any questions you may have regarding your business or personal planning. DeFrancesco Financial Concierge, LLC, DBA, High Lift Financial, is a registered investment advisor. Registration with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any state security authority does not imply a certain level of skill or training.